I'm Julie Bieland and I'm sharing the audio version of a video event we did in my sensitive empowerment community. If you would like more information about how to join my community or information related to the trait of high sensitivity, you can visit my website, sensitiveconnection.com. Thank you. Welcome, everybody. We are doing our 57th event. Can you believe it? We have such an amazing HSP library, and I really hope you guys have been checking that out. Uh, nothing really expires in our community because it's just all relevant to us. So we have 10 questions that, are, uh, that you guys actually put ahead of time, and I can jump into them unless anybody has uh, a question live that they wanted to start with. So I'm so happy to see you guys here. Yay. <laughs> oh, wonderful. So I will jump into the pre-recorded um, questions that you guys had and keep checking back with you guys live if you have anything that you want to comment about. You can come on audio, video, or in the chat, whatever you're most comfortable with. Um, so we'll get started because you guys had some great questions. So I hope everybody's doing well and that, that you had a good week. We, uh, my son was actually sick, quite sick last week with a fever and it was scary, scary to have somebody sick during a pandemic, not really knowing. Um, I mean, especially since we've barely been out anywhere. So especially him, he's really barely been out anywhere. So thankfully he's doing better. Um, so I'm so grateful for that. Hope you guys are all staying healthy. So let's get started um, and keep, you know, you guys can, put stuff in the chat if you like, if you have comments along the way. But we'll get started with Andrea's question. I'd like to understand more about being an HSP and being empathic. Are they one and the same or are there differences between the two? So this is a question I get asked a lot. And uh, one of the things, it's interesting, and I've shared this before in some of our other recordings, but in case you're new, um, it's interesting because I always stayed in the lane of science first and working with um, the highly sensitive person as a trait of sensory processing sensitivity. And because I wanted, uh, when I first started, very little people had heard about the trait. I was giving workshops to therapists, really trying to educate others. Now it's really well known. And I'm, I mean, there's a lot of people talking about it, so I'm very happy about that. And then I was approached by the Shift Network to uh, do a class with them. And some of you may have taken that class. Um, and through that exposure, I got exposed a lot to people who really define themselves as empaths. So I got interested in that. You know, what is the difference? How do we know the difference? And, and it is complicated because being an empath doesn't have um, science behind it in the same way that sensory processing sensitivity does. So it makes it difficult to compare, but what I can do is offer what I've observed and what maybe some of my theories are. So I actually think that it's possible that uh, about, um, and it's interesting because in my sensitivity scale, I, I worked on my sensitivity scale for a long time uh, in my research and, and I kept kind of tuning it and, I started to realize that the people that were scoring the highest at the top of that scale, I would say those that score in the 40s, um, it, I think are probably HSP empaths. And 
so I'm thinking that people that are on that, there is a scale of sensitivity. And the people that are at the very highest level, just like me, um, I believe might be labeled as an HSP empath. Um, and in terms of all the details around empath, that even is, depending on who you talk to, is different. Um, and so one, I did actually, I think it was in the, in the last chat that we had put uh, a link to Bevan Neiman's work. She has a YouTube video and a PDF I put into that. If you can't find it, let me know. Um, and she goes into a lot more detail about empaths. But the, the, I like the way she describes it as like the ability to read language, like the energy uh, language of somebody else. And I know I certainly have that. And those of us, I've always said this all along, that those of us, of us at the highest scale of sensitivity have the most challenges, but we also have the most gifts. And so when you're really working on being able to balance your sensitive nervous system, you get access to more of the gifts. You know, it, it's definitely showed up for me as a positive in my work, being able to read somebody's energy very clearly. Um, and, and I get a lot of information from that, which really helps me. I've always been able to really read animals too. I could just spend time with an animal and, and it's almost like I could just have this reading from them. And so that's kind of a little quick answer to it. Uh, it is quite complicated to compare the two, as I said, since, since we can't put science yet behind the empath part, but we do have science around the HSP part. So I would say my opinion at this point in time during this recording, <laughs> because I think we're always you know, evolving, is that I think that um, it's at the topest, top scale of sensitivity. Bevan says that, it's, that there are estimates that maybe three to 5% of the population perhaps may be empaths. That's a lot of people, like maybe 400 million people. Uh, so there's a lot of us out there and I suspect that a lot of us in the community may actually be. <laughs> Just checking your comments. And hi, everybody. Yeah, Micah, thank you. It was, it was scary that my son was sick and I, we're just, and it was awful to have to, you know, we had him, had to quarantine him. He's 16. Um, we had to quarantine him in his room and that was really difficult as a mother. I just wanted to be there, just like I was saying, reading him because I could read him and we had to have masks on so I couldn't see as much of his expressions and I had a mask on and it was really difficult. So. Um, we, uh, you know, just, we're just so grateful that his immune system popped in and we're, and he's better. So he's been good for a few days now. So we're pretty, we're pretty um, happy about that. Scary times for people. And um, good thing we've got tools. <laughs> yeah, thanks guys. You guys are so sweet. I just, such a beautiful community you guys are too. Um, how you support each other and you know it's I, I really believe in this community as like a family that we're we're there for each other and I've always been um, part of my mission is to share my life with you as a as a very highly sensitive person at the top probably an HSP empath um, that you know what do I do that that helps me uh, recover what what do I do that helps me stay balanced and um, and, you know, hopefully that's helpful to you guys. Uh, Tina, no, we don't know. We did a video. We don't know if he had COVID. Um, we did a video doctor's appointment at the time. And um, we, you know, it was really sort of uncertain at that time. And so we don't know for sure. But 
luckily he has recovered and we're all doing okay. So I hope that answers your question, Andrea, about, I think it's gonna be an ongoing question about empaths. So um, <laughs> Yvonne, beautiful, strong mama, so happy to hear you made it through. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a, it was a rough, rough few days, I tell ya. I was definitely using my tools and very thankful for my self-compassion tool. That, that's one I did not used to have. And it is the one that helps me the most to this day to be able to um, really be able to go into, you know, acknowledging what I'm experiencing, but giving myself loving kindness about what I'm experiencing rather than being hard on myself. So that's a huge, huge, huge help. And I hope you guys are working on your self-compassion technique that we teach. Okay, so Lynn says, I was wondering if you have any suggestions on how to handle the fear of disappointing or hurting someone when you say no or need to correct them on something. Such a huge one for us, right guys? HSPs, we do not want to disappoint people. So much so that we, it is very common for us to give to everybody else and ignore our needs, to give up our needs for someone else because we don't want to be disappointing them. But it's so interesting that we're so focused, and this is so across the board from what I've seen globally with most HSPs, we, we seem to care so much more about disappointing somebody else than disappointing ourselves. And don't you guys find that very interesting that we're like that? I was like that too. I spent a huge part of my life only paying attention to other people's needs and ignoring my own. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's amazing to me. I've been working with HSPs all over the world now for years, and it is something that is a common denominator amongst most of us. So what I usually suggest is it's a practice. So many of the tools that we've been teaching in this community are going to support this practice, really bringing in a lot of mindfulness and meditation that builds this ability to do the pause, reflect, and respond. Um, and for those of you who have taken my brain training course, you know a little bit more about what I'm take, talking about. We, we kind of dive a little bit deeper into that. But to give you a, a, a quick information about that is, what happens is if we're if we said something, if we say no to someone or we're afraid to disappoint them, notice how our energy is really focused on their experience. So it's externally focused. So I really recommend the practice of bringing it back into an internal focus. How, how, so instead of focusing on I've disappointed them, why don't we bring that energy and attention back into I've honored me? Isn't that powerful? I mean, I've honored me. And that is so important because we need to honor our boundaries. We need to honor who we are. And it is so important to do that because we're not going to be well and balanced if we're, if we're not focusing on what honors us. So the reason I want you to really practice meditation and mindfulness training is that it get, you get better at being able to redirect that because without the tools, it's like a slippery slope. You just, you just focused on that person and you're not even paying attention to how you're experiencing things. So I had to do that myself. I can remember catching myself. So think of it as like you're catching it and the more you practice it, you catch it even sooner. So when I was going through that training myself, I would, I would notice it in my body because somatically in our body, we really feel what we're experiencing. So if you feel that, that little shock or a little tightness or a little ickiness, something like that, pay attention to what that feels like in your body because you become aware in your body 
before you do cognitively. And this is part of your gift as HSPs, you've got more awareness. So you can use this as a gift and you can develop this gift to get even better at it. And so I can still remember moments where I would, I would be on that external focus and I would catch it and it's almost like you redirect it. Oh yeah, acknowledging, you know, yes, it is difficult that I, that I, I can see that that person's disappointed and, that, and, I, and I'm acknowledging that that's hard for me because we always want to acknowledge what we're feeling. And then I want to direct it into internally. Even though it is hard for me, it, it, it is honoring me. And I need to remember that that's really important. If I'm going to thrive in the world, I really need to honor who I am and what I need. So that's something, it's like, it's practice. You get better at it. Remember, everything that you're practicing with, in terms of your brain practicing it, it gets better at whatever you practice. So if I only do mindfulness and meditation once in a while, that muscle of that pause, reflect, and respond is not going to be as strong as, as if I'm doing it regularly. Because if I'm regularly meditating, it's that ability to catch those thoughts that are wandering and bring it back into an internal focus. And every time in it, I'm in an internal focus, I know then what I'm experiencing. So I would say redirect it, keep doing that over and over again. And you get better at it and it'll get faster. So I hope that that's helpful and I'm gonna check in your comments. Andrew says, I agree. I think when we disappoint ourselves though, we get the most sad and depressed. Absolutely, that is so true. And it, it, you know, it's so fascinating that we, we have so much more focus on our, our disappointment of others than our disappointment of ourselves. And that's why a lot of my work with you guys in this community and in my courses have a lot to do with Let's practice paying attention to how we feel and how we experience things, which is why I always say like every time you go to the bathroom, ask yourself those two questions. I'll do a pop quiz. Does anybody remember what those two questions are? Put them in the, in the chat if you remember. <laughs> I want to hear if you guys remember. Um, let's see what else we got though. Yes, Micah. All right. How, how am I and what do I need? Yep. Absolutely. That's right. Yvonne got it. Yep. Good, good guys. Yeah, you're listening. I love it. So keep practicing. And that is, a, is something you, can, you should be doing throughout the day. That's why I say to do it every time you go to the bathroom because you do that throughout the day. And it, and it makes you better at paying attention. Like, I mean, so many of us, including myself, I remember I absolutely did not pay attention to what I was experiencing. But what's interesting about that is that you, your body, you, you know, your mind, body, soul is paying attention. So you will experience something, whether it's anxiety, depression, um, an overwhelm, uh, you know, an overloaded nervous system, something like that's going to sort of eventually implode or explode. So it doesn't just go away. It's something you really have to stay connected to. Yeah, Mike says, I think the even though part might help me because I want to validate the fact that I care about others. Yep, I guess that phrase validates and allows me to redirect. Absolutely, that's a really good one. Pay attention to, wow, whew, that's really hard that they're experiencing that disappointment. And then remind ourselves back to what do we need and what's honoring us. And then I really want you to even go another step further. Once you, once you start practicing this, when you do redirect and pay attention to what you need and honor your needs, I want you to celebrate those little moments because those are big things to be able to start developing in yourself, especially if you were like me and don't have those developed. So every time you pay attention and honor yourself, even when it's hard, I want you to celebrate that 
you know, think about positivity, Phillips. Let's focus on the positive, that that was a real positive that you honored your needs. Very good. Okay, let's see. We got, um, and again, if anybody's live and you have questions, just pop them in. Um, Chelsea says, I'm wondering uh, how many HSPs also struggle with addiction in some sort of way? Any tips or support would be appreciated. Such a great question. You know, this has been on my mind a lot. I would love to either do or see some research in this area because I've been thinking a lot about how I would love to see, um, you know, some sort of a study where we can see uh, people who, who struggle with addiction, how many of them are HSPs. And I would actually uh, have, a, I have a theory that a lot of them are. And, you know, we have such intense experiences and emotions as sensitive people, especially those of us up on that high on that scale. And lots of factors impact that. You know, what kind of childhood did we have? Was there trauma in our childhood? Was there, did we not have our needs met? Are, are we susceptible to anxiety and depression then if our needs were not met? Remember the research is showing in sensitive children who, who got the right types of support actually are less likely to have anxiety and depression, less likely than the 80% without this trait. That's a big, huge signal right there. We need support. And if we didn't get the support that we needed in our childhood, you know, and we may have even inherited some really unhealthy coping mechanisms from our family, then when things are really intense and you don't have another coping tool, it can be common to have to take alcohol to um, or drugs to sort of code it. And it feels better in that moment because it kind of numbs you out. But what we do know about um, anybody that struggled with addiction is that we don't grow emotionally once we've started an addiction. So if somebody's come to me in the past, for example, and said, you know, I started drinking heavily when I was 16, let's just say that, then, and maybe they're 30, their emotional age is 16. Because we're, we don't grow emotionally if we're constantly numbing our experience. So then we need to work on new coping skills and you know you're here and you're learning you're learning a lot of the tools that I'm teaching about how do we cope with these really intense emotions that we have and that will be um, a huge factor in being able to shift what you've been using for coping um, and anybody that is really struggling in this area I definitely recommend working with a therapist who has experience with addiction and who also knows about the trait. Those are two things I would definitely recommend if that's something that you want to work on within yourself and anybody that's listening that struggles with that. Um, because, you know, it's really difficult to walk around in the world as an incredibly sensitive person without tools because I used to do that. <laughs> it was horrible to walk around like that and, and really difficult. So um, I think that you know, having that self-compassion and that loving kindness is a huge part of it too. We definitely don't want to be hard on ourselves. You know, anybody that's got any kind of unhealthy coping mechanisms that, that's listening right now, the worst thing you can do is be hard on yourself. Instead, let's take a moment and just say, you know what? I survived whatever I survived, whatever I needed to survive. I'm here right now in this moment and I got myself here. So let's celebrate that. 
And if we decide that we want to create new coping mechanisms, then that's where we start. We don't want to start by being hard on ourselves. We start where we are and you know, the, the, the more we learn, the more we know and slowly developing those coping mechanisms about how do we live in a world with as intense feelers, you know, with such intense emotions. So definitely, you know, so many of the tools that we've been teaching in our community is going to support you with that as well as uh, working one-on-one -on -one with somebody that has that, um, that experience. Okay, I'm going to look at your questions here. Larissa says, I find myself constantly thinking that I'm not being nice enough to those people that work for me and my perception is so different from what they experience. Any thoughts on that? Really only those that I pay for their services. Um, maybe I want to get a little bit more clarity on your question, Larissa. Um, what makes you worry, I guess, that you're not being nice enough? And, um, you know, that's a... I guess I would go there a little bit too about what, what makes that feel so intense for you that, that you worry about that, especially if you're getting a different kind of feedback from people about it. And I think in general, you know, those of us with this trait, oh, we just care so deeply. And, it, you know, we evolved for a reason. This trait evolved for a reason. And we're a group of people who care very much for the world and for others and always do, you know, we always put as much as we can into something to make sure it's the best it can be. And, and that starts to border into perfectionism a little bit, which causes problems. So I think, again, uh, one area that could be supportive in this, uh, Larissa, is to, um, oh, it's the way you perceive yourself. Yeah, that's what you're saying. So that's interesting. Maybe working on um, how you perceive yourself. What is, it, what is it that you value in yourself? What are the areas that you feel like you want to work on and why? And always paying attention to, is this, is this a realistic set of expectations you have for yourself or is it bordering into perfectionism, which doesn't exist. So if, perfection, you know, if perfectionism is our goal, we're going to fail. So make sure that's not your goal. Yeah, self-acceptance. Oh my gosh, what a huge one. That, that, Maybe I have to say, when I said self-compassion was one of the most important things, I have to also say self-acceptance is definitely a huge one to start working towards. It changes your life to, to start to accept who you are, accept and love who you are. So kind of working on all those things are really the life-changing, super life-changing, because then you're sort of a compassionate, loving friend who, who accepts who you are. And then when something doesn't go well, you don't, you don't fall apart as much as you would if you didn't have those built up in yourself. And, and I know that it is sort of a spectrum too, that we can keep growing. I even think that I was just thinking about this the other day that I was like, wow, those skills I've been working on are so much stronger now than they even were a year ago. So even for myself, it's something that I constantly work on developing and growing and, and getting more solid in. And, um, and then you're doing that by being here. <laughs> I love it. Micah says, I experienced this a little bit. I have seven years with no alcohol and I am totally still maturing emotionally. I know it. Lost a, a bit of time in my 20s. Yes. So that's good that you kind of recognize that you're maturing emotionally. That's the thing is if we've kind of covered up everything that we've been feeling, we don't even know how to deal with those strong emotions. So I would definitely say, I mean, if you, if anybody is struggling with addiction, I would work with someone professionally 
um, while you're working through that. Somebody who knows, like a therapist who is um, experienced with addiction and, and, and HSPs, that would be the ideal. And hopefully you guys know about my HSP practitioners directory on my website. Um, and Sam says, tearing up, thank you for the reminder to be gentle on ourselves about this. Yes, absolutely. We need, just think about how gentle and kind and loving you are to others. And that's what we want to really practice being for ourselves. And your body is going to give you direct feedback, you know, that inner child work that we've been talking about, you know, listen to them. What do they need? That's another piece of, you know, the puzzle in, in meditation is be able to really go internal and listen. You know, what is that inner child saying that they need? Are they scared? Do they need something from you? So think about all of those things. Okay. Yeah, Larissa says, thank you. Just wondering if others feel this way too. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way, definitely. Um, and Nancy says, and self-empowerment, I have felt by using the compassion tools, I swear the tools work. Yay. <laughs> I'm so glad that they're working. Um, and they do, they just, you just start to recognize when you keep practicing and they, they, do, they do start working and, and it's so helpful. Okay, let's see where we are. Um, and Jill says, are there any major efforts out there to educate parents, doctors, teachers, teachers, human resources, and the general public about the trade of HSPs and what to look for? What a positive game changer it would be for so many HSPs if the trait was common knowledge. I completely agree with you, Jill, and this has been my mission for the longest time. Like I was saying, when I first started out, it wasn't even talked about much at all. And so uh, I that was my mission initially was really to get the information out there. And um, it is, you know, everything that we do, that's why I say, like, if you've heard a podcast episode or you've read one of my blog posts or you, you know, something that I've put out there that you think has been helpful, a video, whatever it is share it because I be really believe in sort of the ground level on this. This is why I created the guides to give your doctor, the guides to give your therapist, because it is up to all of us to educate others. You know, when you educate your doctor, when you educate your teacher, your, your child's teacher or your therapist or anything, you're helping HSPs that come after you when you're advocating, when you're teaching others, it, you're helping others when you do that. Um, and so, and, it, and I cannot stress how important I think that is. It is huge because as you can see, I mean, it's like, that's why I get so passionate guys, <laughs> because it's so life-changing to, to know about this trait. I mean, walking around in the world, not understanding why we are the way we are and being hard on ourselves versus learning about the trait and understanding the sensitive nervous system and, and learning these tools to find balance. Like it is my dream I mean, it's much of why I created this community. It's my dream that I empower so many HSPs in the world to go out there and do more too. If you're an educator, if you're a doctor, if you're a therapist, if you're a healer in some way, go out there and educate others about it too. And because I believe that we all have to do this together and it will, it will make a huge difference. And we already know that like learning about this stuff has been, it's been life transforming i can't believe how many emails i get every day from people that that share that that you know something they've heard on one of my podcast episodes or something i've shared in an article or blog post or something that they they say that it's changed them 
and transformed them. And I know that feeling because that's how I feel too. Learning about the straight has definitely transformed me. So I kind of hope that you're all troops on the ground and I'm just kind of giving you some empowerment to go out there and also be a part of the change. That's why we even have that uh, topic, be the change in our community, because I'm kind of hoping that so many of us can be empowered to really educate others and, and change the world together, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, okay, I'm just catching up on some of the things you guys said. Tina says, I think our good enough is, is a higher level than most. <laughs> that is so true. That is so, so true. And, you know, it's wonderful that a group of people work so hard to get things done right and to be honest and to be genuine and to, to do it right and to help others in the world. I mean, that's why we evolved. Can you imagine a world that didn't have us <laughs> in it? So this is why it's so important to be who you are in the world. And, and just learn how to support yourself and who you are. Hopefully these are helpful guys. Um, okay, let's see, Becca says, I'm curious if there's a link between being an HSP and being introverted. Well, actually 70% of HSPs are introverted. And, but interestingly enough, 30% are extroverted. So it's actually not the same thing as introversion. Um, so that's actually really interesting too. So it's hopefully that little statistic helps. And Ellen says, where I am, things are opening up and I'm expected to soon work in the office. How can we manage the fear of venturing out when it seems much safer and calmer at home, especially if it does not seem necessary? Wow, I feel for you, Ellen, that that's a lot. Um, and I know that, you know, we, we're such a global audience and, and everybody is different in, in how they're experiencing the pandemic and the shutdowns. I know in my area, it's, it's practically been shut down since the beginning of March, very little openings. Um, and I know, I, I imagine that must be incredibly scary that I talked about the fear definitely of going out when it um, feels safer at home. The first thing that comes up for me is to validate and advocate. First of all, validate that this is how you feel and it's real. And, um, and, it, and I definitely wanna validate that you feel that way. I mean, this is a, a very scary time to be out in the world. Um, and the terms of advocation, I would think that I would love to, you know, if, if anybody is having this experience where they're being pressured to go back to work, but they, but they feel like it's not necessary that they can actually do their work at home, for example, I would definitely advocate for that. Remember your employers want you to thrive at your fullest potential. And if you believe you can thrive at your fullest potential at home, doing your work at home and it's possible for you, I would advocate for that. And I would approach it from the perspective of, you know, when you're talking to your supervisor or your boss about it, to be able to say, um, you know, I know that I work best when, and I know that you will get the best of me when. So what you're really sharing is how you can really give the best that you have, but you would rather do that at home, that you can do that at home. So I would first go there to, to advocate for that because I know employers just want the best from you as an employee. Um, and so if you feel that it's 
possible for you to work from home. And I think that, I mean, that's what we're finding. I, before this pandemic even hit, I was a big advocate for people to, to push for work at home or, and, or commute, change commute hours, things like that. Maybe work home most of the time, whatever became possible. And lots of research actually shows that we waste a lot of time in the workplace and that we're actually only productive two, three hours out of the day anyway you know, because there's so much distractions at work and that a lot of HSVs especially can get a lot done at home. Also remember supervisors are, it's been shown in the research that they rate HSPs the highest. So it's very common that HSPs are walking around as very valued employees. Like they know you do a good job and you've proven that to your company or your boss and you know you can continue to do, good, do a good job at home, I would definitely val, you know, try to advocate for that and give them, you know, write down, get clear, write down all the reasons so that you're really feeling cognitive and clear when you present it, write down all the reasons why you think you could do better at home and, that, and, and share it that way. That's what I would definitely push for um, if you're feeling that. Check your... Take your comments. Yeah, Jill, we need to be a voice for those who don't know about the trait. Absolutely, yes. There's so many HSPs out there suffering right now because they don't know about this trait. So if you're passionate to <laughs> definitely share, that is something that will help people. Cecily says, yeah, I love working from home. I've been so happy to be doing so since mid-March. I feel way more productive and focused. Yes, I believe that. Um, so thanks for responding to my question, Julie. I've been advocating and they are just being super strict about it. I'm really sorry to hear that they're being so strict about it. Um, I wonder if there's any way for you to have like a one-on-one a, a -on -one or an email exchange that's a personal one that, that talks about it from a personal perspective. Um, and, you know, if anybody that does find themselves going into situations out of fear, I'll give you a few tools for that. Uh, anyway, I hope you know about our breath technique. That's a, that's a really good one for um, helping to calm the nervous system right away. So you inhale for four, you hold for two, and you exhale for seven. So you're doing that long, slow exhale. And that's the key. If you do that about five to seven cycles, that really reduces the heart rate and gets that cognitive brain back online that supports the emotional brain because the fear is coming from emotional brain. Um, and then, you know, above all else, you stick with what works for you. So if, if they're forcing you to go back, then ask, you know, how are they going to protect you? I want to know how I'm going to be protected. Can I have a separate office? Can I, you know, if you find it hard to wear masks all day or something like that, are there things that can be done that would help you feel better about it. Um, so that's what I would work on a little bit. Um, hopefully that's helpful. Okay, Yvonne says, one of my biggest struggles with being an HSP is how to communicate effectively when I'm in a heated situation. For example, when someone is angry or screaming, I tend to freeze and lose my ability to speak and then feel irate later. I want to be able to address the situation calmly and in my power, but I'm often so flooded with strong emotions I cannot speak. Um, and I'm going to combine Audrey's because hers is actually similar too. She said um, that she has the same question, except she doesn't freezes, freeze, she fights. Uh, I can't stop <clears throat> until everything I have 
ever thought comes out and because we are so intuitive and can read people so well, I end up spilling out what they are, why they are wrong, how they got their way, and it's not fair fight because I know them better and their buttons. So her question was, when a fight starts, how can we calm down sooner? <clears throat> My relatives can be over in five minutes, over it in five minutes, and it takes me three days. And they say, why can't you just let it go and move on? you're keeping this going inside yourself. So those two questions are very similar, I think, in my response to both. Um, one of the things to recognize is that if you, you've got the two parts of your brain, the emotional brain and the cognitive brain. So when, when we are really activated emotionally and upset, you know, if somebody's yelling at you or something like that, then the emotional brain starts to get so activated that the cognitive brain goes to sleep. The cognitive brain is where our tools are. And that's when the emotional brain is, is a very irrational part of our brain. So it, and it's so fascinating. They've actually done studies on this where they, if, for example, somebody does a slow exhale and a long inhale, and they're in a room with someone, they will actually view the expression on that person's face as being um, like an attack. So that sets off alarm bells. But if the exhale is slow i mean the exhale is long it's the opposite so we actually have science that backs this up that um i wanted to share that about why that breath technique that i just shared is so important that that long exhale is so important to help calm you because as soon as your heart rate goes above a hundred that's when your emotional brain takes over and your cognitive brain goes to sleep and that's how you end up in those loops of arguments and and that that doesn't work so First of all, if you're super upset or if somebody you're talking to is super upset, don't have your conversation at that point. Cannot stress that enough. I love John and Julie Gottman's work. Um, they did a lot of work on couples, but, uh, but their technique, their communication technique, and I wrote about this in a blog post that I hope you guys saw um, about their communication technique because it works really well not just for couples, but for anybody having a conversation. And one of the first things that they would do is they would have this heart monitor on people and they would recognize that as soon as that heart rate went above 100, that's when ir irrational would take over and, and no longer, that conversation was no longer rational. So we recommend, there's a few things, that you separate. So if you're in a room with somebody and there's argument starting, that's where we need to work on that pause, reflect, and respond to be able to notice, like I'm starting to get too activated. That would signal that I need to actually excuse myself and separate your energy from that person. Don't be having a conversation. Don't continue a conversation with somebody with either you're upset or they're upset because it, it turns into creating a bigger problem because your irrational brain is taking over. And what's really interesting too is you actually cannot take in new information when your emotional brain has taken over. So you won't hear what they're saying and they won't hear what you're saying. That's why if you've ever been in an argument with someone and you're like, I told you that, what, don't you remember? <laughs> and they're like, no, I don't, I don't remember that. Because they, the brain can't take in that new, new information when the emotional brain is too um, activated. And for HSPs, it can even be more so. So that's the first thing is you want to pay attention to is don't have the conversation during an argument. And, and um, I know Audrey was saying something like you, you want to say everything that they're doing wrong and stuff, but that creates a defensiveness. So one of the things I love about the Gottman style of communication is it is a style of communication where you 
um, whatever you're, you, you have to, there, so there's two things that are important. The what the person is saying and the other person is, how the other person is listening. So they call it speaker listener. So as a speaker, speaker you use I statements like, I feel overwhelmed. Um, would would be about me right versus you always make me feel this way now as soon as you say the you what happens to the other person is they start to feel that that as a as an attack and now they go into defensive mode and as soon as they're defensive they can't hear what you're saying anymore i mean then it just becomes they're only thinking about how they want to respond to you um, so if you're already noticing your heart rate is up it takes about 20 to 30 minutes of separating and, and calming down. So I would suggest taking a walk if possible, doing something like that where you get some movement if you're feeling really activated. So, and not concentrating on what, they are, what they've said. So you need to remove yourself from the situation and it takes about 20 to 30 minutes for that adrenaline to be reabsorbed and to stop being released um, before you can come back. Now, working this out with someone, like if you really need to work it out, come back when you're both calm. And I love, they have like this five-step method and it's gonna be difficult to teach you guys in just a minute with this, but I'll, I'll mention it anyway and, and you can also read more about it. And maybe we'll even do a, an event about this one day about communication. So the, the first step is that you want to, like when you're being the listener and you're trying to listen to somebody's story, you wanna hear, what are they trying to say to me? And then, and then you want to hear, you want to be able to name what are their emotions, and then you want to validate. Validation means that you understand they're experiencing that, that emotion and it's real for them. You don't have to agree to validate, but validation is the magic tool in communication. And this is good for personal and professional relationships. When somebody's saying something over and over and over to you and they just won't stop, or um, you're having a, a really serious conversation with someone, if you can name back to them what their story is, what their emotion is, and validate, like it makes sense to me that you felt angry when this happened. It doesn't mean that you agree with, with what they're experiencing. You're just, you're just trying to validate that they're experiencing it. And validation is magic. When I learned this first as a psychotherapist, and I did extra training with the Gottman Method because I loved it. It was based on like 40 years of research, I was shocked at, I mean, how amazing validation works. It, it is really magical. Um, and I've had, I used to work with couples and couples would come in, you know, fighting about the same thing for 30 years. And finally they could talk about it when they followed these, these steps. So I already named the three. Then the fourth one is what is, you know, if you're, if you're trying to understand someone, what is their positive need? It is very easy for us to complain, but behind every complaint is actually a need. And if we complain, we create defensiveness. But if we state our need, we create an open listening. So we really want to understand what is their positive need. I even do this with my children. When they were little, we would, if they would have arguments with each other, we would go through these steps. Um, and so then you would hear them, what is your positive need? <laughs> they would say to each other, it was so cute, but it, it's so helpful. And then the fifth stage is being able to ask that person. So like if you were the, the listener, your fifth stage would be, did I get it right? Was there anything else that you wanted to share with me? So by the end of that fifth stage, that person should feel a softening because they feel like they've been heard. And it's their opportunity 
to say, well, you know what, there's one more thing I wanted to share with you. So you really want to, because it's really common that our normal dynamics and it's kind of our default dynamics in communication is that we're just going back and forth without actually listening to each other. And we're already thinking about what we, how we want to respond and we've stopped listening to what that person is saying. So going through those five steps, it's really magical and it, it takes practice to get, to get good at it because it's very different than how we normally do things. Um, so those are the, some of the things I would suggest. I know that's a lot of information. I'm gonna come in and check what you guys had to say about that. Um, Cecilia says, I replay the scenarios in my head afterwards, including role-playing what I would have said. Larissa says, maybe because I've been working since age 12 and have had such bad experiences that now that I'm on the other side, I'm very cautious not to be one of those and hard on myself when I set a boundary. Oh, I'm Gaynor, I'm glad you're finding this helpful. I know it's a lot of information. I always have so much to teach you guys and it's kind of like a balance between, but what I'm hoping is, if you guys want more details on anything, let me know. We'll either cover it in the session or, you know, we can create a whole event around something if it's really something you guys want to know more about. Um, Tina says it also calms the other when you acknowledge and hear them, which makes it easier for self. Absolutely. Because if they're, if validation is so magical because they actually, when you validate some, somebody, instead of them being defensive and shutting you out, they listen. It's like an opening happens and they actually listen to you because they got heard. So that's actually a really helpful one. Yeah. Anastasia says, I feel statements with my husband and kids too, and it helps a lot. Not only do I share what I'm feeling and validated my feeling, but also am advocating for myself. Very good. And, and the thing is too, I think in some of your questions, you guys were saying like it lasted for a long time. I would look at, you know, what's happening? Because a lot of times we're arguing about the same things with the same people over and over again. So when you're calm, after you've calmed down, try to get clear, like what's in there? This would be a good time to do some journaling. Uh, get clear about what's inside that container for you. Why are you upset? Sometimes it's years of resentment building and resentment, HSPs often have a lot of resentment because we've been overgiving to others and undergiving to ourselves. And so sometimes it's almost like an overflow happening all at the same time, like you've been holding in your feelings for a long time, and then suddenly they just explode out of you all at once. That's what, when I talk about implosion versus explosion. So you wanna get clear, are there certain things that you're really not feeling heard about? And and try to define what's in that container for you when you, so, after you've calmed down, that's, the th that's what you want to do is really sit and reflect on that. What is it that you need? Ask yourself that, you know, what's in there? What is it that really impacts me the most? And everybody only has about three to five main cores, like core issues that everything can be connected to. So for example, my, one of my core issues um, was uh, I'm not lovable. And I had that growing up. So that sort of bled into my relationships before I understood that core message. So I might be upset about something over here, but really it would connect to that core message. And as soon as I understood that that was one of my, one of my core messages, I could work to heal it and to 
to work towards reminding myself I am lovable and it makes me be less defensive than in, in, in a, you know, in a situation if I understand that core. Larissa is asking what's step two again. I think I'm going to also give you guys, um, I'm going to put into the notes to that because I wrote this all out. So it might be easier for you to actually read that post. Um, so you're telling your story and then you're naming the emotion. So let, let me speak from just the, the listener part. The listener is going, has five things they need to do. They need to repeat back the story. It doesn't have to be word for word. It's just the story of what you heard them tell you. Then you need to name their emotions, validate their emotions, uh, find out what their positive need is, and then check in. Did you get it all? So that's the, that's the listener's part. Hmm. Yeah, Becca says more details. Yeah, I'll, I'll, get, I'll make sure we also, I point you guys back to that post that I did. This is, this, this communication style is, I mean, it might even be interesting for us to do almost like a role play together one day or something. If anybody's willing to do that, please let me know. Um, because we could do like a role play to demonstrate what it looks like. That might be helpful. Ellen says, oftentimes these arguments repeat themselves so you can prepare for the next argument. Yeah. Well, that's what we want to, you know, uh, and, and the Gottman's also when they're in their research found that 69% of issues between couples are not resolvable. And that is with any couple. And so what we're looking at then, if, if the issue is a not resolvable issue, then we, if we're trying to fix or resolve the issue, we're going to fail. But if we manage the issue, that's when we will get success. And that doesn't matter which partner you have, you will have that 69% issues are not fixable. We're two different, you know, you're different people, different backgrounds, different experiences. So instead you work towards managing what that issue is. That's more successful. This is Cecilia says, I think an event on conflict argument navigation or difficult conversations would be very helpful. Yes, I think yeah, it would be a great event to do. And that, I think I'd love to do role playing with anybody if they're interested in doing that for this event. <clears throat> yes, Lynn says, and isn't that what we want in communication to be seen and validated? Yes, that's exactly what we want. Uh, you guys are so awesome. I'm just reading through if I missed anything. How did you heal that core message in your head that you're not lovable? That definitely took work. That is not an overnight process. Um, and so much of the tools, I mean, really all the tools that we've been teaching along the way and the posts that I've made, and I talk up a lot of, I talk a lot about this in my course, Blooming Brilliantly, Developing Self-Love, because it's a whole series of stuff to develop self-love. The first thing we have to do is really acknowledge that that's our experience. So, because it's so fascinating, sometimes we can be, I can remember in my 20s, for example, when I didn't have tools and I was sort of a roller coaster of emotions and I would end up in arguments with my, you know, whoever I was dating at the time or something. And I wasn't even aware <clears throat> that why I was triggered, why I was so reactive about certain things. You know, and when you get into that space, you start to just assume that it's, it's that person's issue, that they're the one that's making you feel that way, that you don't recognize that you have, what I, the way like, I like to say is, 
I already had a container full of feeling not lovable and that person just put one drop in it. But I actually had an entire full container that had nothing to do with them. And that is incredibly important if you're having a lot of conflict in relationships or something to recognize that core because then I could realize that they just put a drop in it and maybe that drop made it overflow and that's why it was so awful but I actually carried around that container myself from childhood. So that was a real life-changing experience to recognize that in myself, to understand that. And a lot of times doing deep internal work with a good therapist or something is very helpful if you have a lot of those experiences that you have trouble identifying in your own, in your own self. But it's interesting if you do some journaling around it too, to recognize like where, when I think about the arguments I've had or these conflicts that I'm having in my relationships, can I, can I figure out what is a core in there? Sometimes you can do that in journaling or talking to a friend, but one of the benefits of working with like a coach or therapist who's trained in this, and you guys can check out the HSP directory to find somebody who knows about this trait, but one of the, the gifts of a, of a really good practitioner is that they can go down inside of you with you. Like they're with you side by side exploring together. And so it feels safer to go down in there with someone that's helping hold a safe container. And also you get this extra information um, that they help you navigate because they're not getting blocked by the emotions like you might be. So they're able to help you navigate. It's like, it's like shining a flashlight down inside. It's like, what's in there? Let's find it together. Um, Larissa says, for me, it was I am abandoned, lots of therapy. EMDR really helped me as well as reaching and working through emotional. Yeah. What about non-dominant hand journaling? Oh, I think you said something about that one time, Tina. You know, I honestly think, I don't know a lot about that, um, to, to be honest. So it'd be interesting to explore that a little bit more. And if you're finding that that is something that um, it'd be interesting to learn a, a little bit more about that. Um, okay, so we got a couple more questions here. I know we're getting close on time. Uh, Anastasia, how do you deal with, um, I'm just doing nothing but tears start to fall uncontrollably. For example, over the weekend, I saw protesters holding signs to support police officers, and I felt this tingling sensation and an overwhelming hotness and tears starting to form. Um, but I was able to hold them back by taking deep breaths and not focusing or looking at the people. I was in the car with my family. Any thoughts on this would be helpful. Well, definitely. We are deep feelers, that's for sure. And we can be impacted. I mean, we can watch a commercial and start crying. I can even cry looking at a beautiful sunset sometimes. It's like, you know, the emotions are so intense sometimes that that, that happens. So the, one of the best things, though, to pay attention to is that that's okay that, that, the, that the tears are coming. And I often recommend that you allow, if you're, if you're in a situation where you can just have a good cry, let yourself do that. Let yourself just have a good cry. You know, there was something so fascinating when I was um, researching this area about like accepting emotions and, um, because the emotion itself that we're having is five pounds, but the judgment about the emotion is a thousand pounds. So when we remove the judgment and we just are like, it's okay. Sometimes we just need a release. You know, you, you felt something in that moment. And as a deep feeler, that is 
okay, like we need to normalize and validate that first of all, and definitely not judge it. So allowing ourselves just to have a good cry is important. And everybody that's done that, when you've actually managed to just let yourself cry without the judgment, it, it's like you feel a lot better afterwards because you've actually got some of those emotions out of you. I consider crying to be a release in lots of ways. So sometimes we just need to allow the release and, and give yourself a lot of loving kindness and self-compassion around that, that you were feeling something deeply in that moment and that's okay. And it's okay to, to do that around others, you know? And most of the time, if people seem uncomfortable by our strong emotions, it's because they don't know what to do and they don't know if you're okay. So a quick thing can just be like, you know, I'm just feeling something really deeply. I'm gonna let it out a little bit, but everything's gonna be okay afterwards. You know, you're kind of letting them know that you don't need them to do anything and you're gonna be okay. Unless you actually do need them to do something, then you'd want to ask for your need in that moment. Yeah, it's, yes, Tina says, it's part of self-acceptance. We just cry, it's who we are. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's who we are, let's normalize it. Okay, so last question we got is, Micah says, when talking to a spouse about HSP, what do you think are the top two or three things to focus on in a discussion? I'd like to avoid making him feel like he needs to change. I think he's feeling criticized when I explain my needs. Um, so I think uh, that might be where some of this communication can be helpful, where you're saying, um, like, for example, we might want to say, you know, I've been thinking about something lately, and I'm, I'm realizing that I'd really like you to know about this part of me. I just, I feel like it would help you understand me a little bit more for me to explain this about myself. So then you'd wanna go into, um, like I can remember, um, it's interesting, uh, years ago, I think I probably was in my 20s at that time too, I can remember a moment where um, my partner at the time came home and um, walked into the other room to put their bag. And see that my core message of not being lovable <clears throat> meant that when they left the room when I was talking, it was a signal to me that they didn't love me, that they didn't care about me. You know, when I talk about that cognitively now, it's like, well, that's not actually what happened. But in the moment, I was unaware. And so if I could go back into that time, I might say, you know, I wanted you to know something about me. I can be kind of sensitive because from my childhood that when I'm having a conversation, it's like, could, could you just say to me, like, I'm going to be right back, or, you know, I'm finding what you're important, what you're saying is important, um, so that you understand that that's some of my background, and I want you to know that, so that you understand me a little bit more. So in that, I gave information, and I also, I gave a little history, and I gave information about what would be supportive to me, but notice none of that would cause defensiveness. I wasn't saying, when you do this, you make me feel this way. That, remember the you statements. You don't want to start out with a you statement. And another tip is, because uh, a lot of people have been told I, I, you need to say I feel, right? But what's so fascinating is if you use the word like after feel, it usually turns into something that you don't want to head towards. So like, I feel like you, <laughs> you're doing this wrong, right? You're still saying the you. So you need to really, it's a vulnerable thing to, to share where you are but that's how people get to know us is to be able to share. So it's like, 
You know, if I'm thinking about the top two or three things, I might want to think about what's important to me. Like if I have a sensory issue and my partner's always having the TV on or something like that, then I might want to say, you know, I just wanted to let you know that because I, I wanted to teach you a little bit about sensory processing sensitivity and how it might impact me. And there's times when I might need to turn off the TV or I might need to leave the room. You know, this is just examples of personal stuff. So we might want to express it in terms of what's your need and how would that help you versus you're doing this wrong. So that's going into positive need. You're stating your positive need instead of your complaint. Uh, Becca says, Julia, could we please also have this written chat posted? Yes, I can definitely post it. So that was the end of our questions. And boy, we were really good on time. If anybody had any last minute stuff put into the chat uh, or you wanted to come on and talk for a moment, um, I hope it was helpful. And if you guys have, you know, I am always here listening. So Please, um, we're gonna, we do these regularly where we do these question answer sessions and coaching sessions regularly so that you can keep getting your questions answered. And, you know, certain things that we want to address, we can create a whole event around them. So those are things um, I definitely recommend. Uh, I'm glad you guys, um, I read some of your comments coming up. Good, Jill, you found that approach helpful. You're welcome. Cecilia said, I just wanted to say thank you. These question and answer sessions are so helpful. Oh, I'm glad. Thank you guys for letting me know. Anastasia says, very helpful. Thank you. Lynn says, helpful. Thank you so much. Sandy, thank you. Becca, thank you. I love all this info and we'll definitely revisit it. Tina says, very helpful. Good. Larissa says, thank you. Thank you guys. I love your feedback and I'm so glad this is helpful for you. I am here for you in all ways, just to really help you become the empowered HSPs I know you can be, who know how to really honor and love who you are in the world and to take care of your nervous system so that you can really thrive. So I am very happy you guys were here. Uh, I just love our HSP family. Thank you so much for how you support each other you welcome new members. I mean, I, can, I know that a, a lot of new members coming in must sometimes feel like, oh my gosh, you know, there's this group that's already together and how do I fit in? But when you make a post welcoming them, you know, you're, you're opening up a door and saying, come on in, come on into our HSP family. And I really appreciate you doing that a lot because I think it, it feels really welcoming when you do that. And we have, it's just such a beautiful HSP family we have here. Um, and how we love and support each other. And that's a beautiful thing. And you guys have are really amazing humans. And I'm so happy that you're here together and you really make this community be a beautiful place to be, a really supportive, loving place to be. And thank you for that and for being yourselves in the world. We love and value who you are exactly as you are. And I hope you guys continue to take really good care of yourselves out there. And we will see you in the community. Okay, bye everybody. To sign up for my free newsletter and to take the free sensitivity quiz, you can visit my website at sensitiveconnection.com.